This is episode 52 of the Rising Man podcast with Albert Bastia. Listen to your heart. Welcome back, Rising Man family. I'm your host and creator of the show, Jetty Azuma. Excited to be back again in action with you guys for another riveting interview with an amazing man. I've really put some focus and emphasis heading into this new year. The podcast is about to turn one year old in March here, and I really wanted to put more focus on conversations with men and really digging deeper into the experience of being a man and what it is that we're all sharing in, because I really believe that my journey is not much different than any one of yours, that we are living the same story with different characters and slightly different details and twists, wrinkles in the story, very much the same experiences. So I hope that that's what's coming through. I want to hear from you guys. Let me know if you're getting more and more from these episodes as we start to shape and refine, always trying to improve upon what we're doing here to make it more and more valuable for you guys out there. So let us know. Make sure you guys are leaving us some feedback and comments so we know how we're doing. And as I have mentioned in recent episodes, we are officially aligned with the Conscious Man Brotherhood, which I'm so excited to announce. My brothers over there, Preston Smiles, and many of the other amazing men who are in my community, we're doing some really big things. And uh, we made the decision to align the Rising Man podcast with the Conscious Man Brotherhood and it feels really good. It feels really good to be bringing these circles of men's work together because we're all fighting the same battle here. And so every one of you guys, if you're not familiar with CMB or the Pack Brotherhood, make sure you guys head over to facebook.com slash groups slash the Pack Brotherhood. It's where all of these amazing conversations are continuing. There's a tremendous amount of content coming through because we have some powerhouse coaches, facilitators, leaders in men's work coming in there and posting content all the time. And not only that, men all over the world, just like you and I, are sharing their truth and sharing what's going on for them. And so I know a lot of men are getting tremendous value from the engagement, from the community, from the tribe that's being built there. So make sure you head over there to the PAC Facebook group and get yourself signed up and aligned with us today. And last but not least, before we head into the episode, one last chance for you guys who want to join for this round of Elements, the three-day men's initiation wilderness weekend coming up here January 18th to the 20th. One last chance to sign up, guys. We're about a week out and still got a few seats available. So if you're interested in heading out into nature, into the wilderness, digging deep, taking off your mask and experiencing the power of sharing your truth with other men while connecting with the elements of nature and the natural world for three days under the stars, head over to rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements. It's an amazing experience just to get out there and to be in the wilderness and to experience our wild masculine energy together as men. There's nothing better than that. So head over there today, check it out and sign up. Make sure you act hastily because the spots are closing. The window is closing for this round. So without further ado, my amazing guest for today is a man by the name of Aubert Bastia, also known as Spiritual Heart. Albert is a certified HeartMath mentor. He's a transformational coach and facilitator of men's work. He is the co-founder of the Sacred Sons, which is another amazing organization of men who are collaborating to put on events, experiences, and circles for men here in Southern California. He has risen above his own unique challenges, including having gone to prison at a young age and overcome addiction to become a leader and a facilitator of men. He is a husband. He's a father. He is an amazing, amazing amazing man and I'm thrilled to have him on the show today. Some of the things that we talked about are the archetypal journey of a boy to man, uh, the things that we all face on this road and how we can emerge into our light, into our purpose. Uh, We spoke about the lessons of how to be and how not to be from the many men we meet, how we learn who we are in the eyes of other men. Really, really powerful discovery that came through in this conversation. We talked about rising out of our own unique darkness to find purpose and fulfillment in life and the healing power of a men's circle and sharing your truth for the very first time. Without any further ado, I introduce to you Albert Bastia. Okay, 
Albert Bastia, aka Spiritual Heart in the Flesh, coming in live. I forgot to ask you where you're coming in from, man. Where are you at right now? Where in the world? Dana Point. Dana Point. Living in Dana Point right now. Dana Point. Awesome, man. And the hair game is on point, like I told you. <laughs> Glad to have you, you know, on the brother. show, man. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to keep those lion manes nice and healthy, right? And hey, get that, man. Extract that power from the hair. It's just letting it flow, letting it grow. <laughs> That's it, bro. Man, so glad to have you on here, man. Really appreciate you making the time to be here. You know, we've we got to meet by concentric circles of this men's work that is happening here all over the world, really. But in California, it's a really exciting time right now, isn't it? With all these men's circles popping up. Dude, it really is. It's like a revitalization of this men's movement. We're all feeling it. It's happening and it's it's beautiful to witness. Awesome, man. Yes. And we'll definitely have a chance to talk more about Sacred Sons and the amazing community that you guys are building over there. But let's let's start off because I know you're also a man of the heart. You mentioned before we got on here that you're you've really been championing this message of the power of the heart. So, uh, yeah. so before we get into that, I want to I hear, hear your answer to this question because I ask everybody who comes on the show this question. And that is, to you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Well, there's, there's a lot of distinctions, I'd say, between a boy and a man. But I guess from my own personal experience, what delineated my passage from boyhood to manhood was my capacity to take responsibility, take responsibility for my actions and be accountable when I, when I messed up. I lived a lot of my life, my younger life, kind of in victim mode. I'd blame, blame everybody else, blame the world, deflected responsibility. Mm-hmm. As I step deeper into to my journey as a man, it's about taking responsibility and not only for myself, but also for my family and, and to ensure that they thrive and also for my community and mm-hmm. the greater world that we're a part of. So I think a big one is, is responsibility and accountability and the capacity to be accountable. Yeah, man, I ask everybody this question and it's great because I'm starting to hear the same thing from from every man, especially the men that I really respect is this element of responsibility, of, of personal accountability and ownership that we take for everything in our lives. So I feel like we've really gotten that saturation point. But I also noticed that a lot of times because the one of the bit first missions of a boy is, is to find his way into manhood. Right. Yeah. And so we there's that pursuit. There's that wanting to be seen as and to feel like and become the man that we know we're capable of being. But a lot of times that means we throw out the boy. We we discard yeah. the boy or we kind of push the boy aside. So I'd like to hear your opinion on what are what are the benefits and the, the great parts of the boy and the experience of a boy? Yeah. Boy is like our, our you know, connected to our sense of wonder. You know, our sense of of life is just being so grand, this grand adventure, you know, and I I definitely still see the world as this incredible adventure. I don't think I have lost that part of me. So I carried the boy with me, you know, I, and I know that in like tribal societies, you know, there was often initiations to kill off the boy, as they would say, so that you're just now the man. But mm-hmm. I think that we're living in a time where it's so crucial to, to have that boyish sense of wonder and imagination and possibility and to be able to fuse that into our life so that it just doesn't become dull and gray you know? So I think Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that that's that eternal life, you know, that eternal wonder that the boy has uh, so crucial to carry with us. Yeah, I agree. I think in my experience, I was so focused on becoming a man and, you know, becoming the man that I saw my father to be and the other men that I respected around me that I was just doing everything I could to let go of that boy. And I forgot my boy for many years, even though there were still moments where I was really behaving like a boy, you know, making it all about me being very self-centered and self-referenced, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't enjoying life as much. I wasn't being as adventurous or wondrous as you said. And yeah, yeah, man. I think for me, I, I can say that I think I lost my, that innocence, that, that boyish wonder pretty early on because I think, you know, just cause my family dynamic, the drama, you know, that I, that I had to experience and, and it just, it took away that, that joy, that sense of wonder. And so, although there were times where, you know, beautiful road trips and and fun times with dad, there was also the opposite, you know, mom and dad fighting, wanting that, that energy to stop and feeling like helpless in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this sense of like helplessness. And so Mm -hmm. there was maybe a, a, a running from that sense of helplessness, in my life at least. So mm. now I'm a little bit older and have done a lot of healing work so I can reclaim a lot of that wonder and that that joy and that curiosity for life. And it feels really good, especially being able to see it through my son's eyes now. It feels so good to, 
you know, it's like this reawakening of that inner boy and this just beautiful. Yes. Yeah. When, when did you say you started to lose a sense of that wonder? Like how, how old were you and what was going on in your life when that started to happen? Well, my parents separated when I was five, but I would still see my dad on the summers. He was like the Disneyland dad, you know, he'd come in and, you know, take us out on road trips during the summertime. And, you know, then he'd like disappear and be gone like for most of the year while we were in school. So Mm -hmm. that continued on until I was about 11. And then my mom and dad actually got into a huge, huge fight. Mom called the cops. It, It became a huge deal. And my dad pretty much bailed out of my life for good. I didn't have any communication with him between the ages of 11 and 23. And so I really see that as like a pivotal point in like the loss of my innocence, the loss of um, that boy, you know, the boy energy. And uh, it Mm -hmm. sent me on like a unique path to say, so you know, to say the least. So that was a a big, big point of trauma for me when I was 11 and my, my mom and dad separated for good and my dad disappeared from my life, you know, having the cops involved and this like legal thing. So Mm -hmm. Definitely 11 being like, I, I can pinpoint it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and, and unfortunately that's becoming a, a, a common story is at least the separation component of, of, you know, um, of parents not staying together in, in modern society, you know, not, not figuring out a way to be together, yeah. but there's, there's a lot of men out there who share that experience who had totally. their father absent from parts of their life at, at different periods of time. So, so just speak a little bit about what, what did that, cause for you or what, or what what started to come up for you between the ages of 11 and 23 without that father figure around? Well, I think that there was a, always a strong longing for like a father figure. Mm-hmm. Even when I was young, I looked to my, I love my dad so much. I just like looked to him as like a God, like he was like everything to me. You know, I just, I just wanted to be around him, wanted to learn from him. I'd ask him like a thousand questions and, you know, he was like a really science minded guy. So he'd be able to answer like so many questions about the world and nature. And I just, keep on firing him and you know he keep on answering and he did cultivate like he did help me cultivate my my desire for knowledge and so I, I definitely credit with him with that but after he left there was this void that I felt I really wanted to look to other men like older men like how how do I be become a man now like that's like a feeling like I don't I don't have this guidance I feel lost mm-hmm. you know and so I, I was looking to fill that void and often with like the wrong kind of men, men who appeared outwardly powerful or, you know, strong, but were in, in fact, as it turned out in several cases, boys themselves, like, you know, kind of like the gangbanger, you know, drug dealer kind of guy, you know, and I did model some of these guys, you know, cause I lived in like, we, we lived in poverty mostly. And so I was, I was around these, these kind of tougher neighborhoods and really modeled, you know, men who were outwardly the, the man, but inwardly, they're still like boys, psychologically speaking. So that really set me on a path of modeling these inadequate men and like getting hurt by them, like learning a lot of bad habits from them and going on like a, a pretty tough trajectory. You know, I ended up dealing drugs and going to jail and, and, and mixing myself with the wrong crowd, getting into addiction. And so my father's absence led to a, a lot of suffering, a lot, a lot of bad connections with men and bad connect, you know, bad models. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to work through that. <laughs> yeah. And, and especially now being a father to a son, I'm sure that that also amplifies your mission in the world, you know, because not only are you a father to a son, but you know, you're also symbolically fathering men into their, into their highest selves, you know, by being a leader in this field. At least that's, at least that's the way I look at it. Oh, completely. I think we're all responsible to be that leader, you know, that we would follow ourselves. And so it's definitely, you know, continually challenging myself to, you know, push past my edges to embody who I myself respect. So mm-hmm. it's been a journey. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting, man, because I had a very, almost the polar opposite experience of a father. You know, my father is, is, is still in my life. He, he and my mother are still together going on, I think 30, 34 years of marriage. They've lived in the That's same beautiful. house that I grew up in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And you know, in full transparency, it has its own challenges, you know, I, you sure. know without going yeah. down that rabbit hole, they've, they've definitely had their challenges in, in their marriage and, and in raising my, my brothers and I, um, but I have had my father around my whole life. And I had a very similar experience though. At the age of about 23 was when I started to feel like, yes, my dad is a great man. I respect him. I honor him Mm -hmm. and I'm not him. 
I'm yeah. not my dad and I don't want to live to just be a carbon copy of my father. I had a, a feeling inside of me that there's so much more, but he was really the only man in my life that I was modeling myself after. There was a couple of other men who came in for brief periods of time, like coaches or um, friends, dads who were friends of, uh, da- fathers of my friends that I respected yeah. something about them, but nobody that I really wanted to sit around a fire and learn with. And so I had to go on my own journey in pursuit of that. And that's what led me out to California in the first place. But it's interesting because despite the differences in our stories, I'm seeing that there's a natural calling forth of, from this boy of this man that we want to be. And we, we seek out these men who can reflect that part of the man we want to be back to us. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a a natural longing for the boy to look to men who they feel have pieces that can help guide us into becoming a man ourselves. You know, I think, you know, just looking from the eyes of a boy, it's like always wanting to be this older person. Yeah. I think, I think it's natural in us like, Oh, once I'm grown up, then it's going to be like this. I think it's common for all men to seek that guidance, that wisdom of the elders, the the man who, who has these tools that can guide us into this, this new way of manhood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I noticed in my experience, some of these men came in and out of my life after one cup of coffee that have still had an impact on my life. Right. And some of them have been in my life for a decade or more. And so I think it's just a good reflection that these men will come in and out of our lives to impact us in one way or another. And we never know how that's going to play, how that's going to be, how that's going to play out. Totally. And I've also had a lot of men come in my life, similar to the ones you said, who I thought they were great. I thought they were going to be a great role model for me. And then upon further review, not so much. So how did you learn to discern between the men who had something for you and the men who didn't, or the men who you wanted to spend more time around the ones you didn't? I think it was through my own process of, of recovering from addiction and, and going through like the dark night of my soul that I really realized there was not going to be a, a, someone that I can look to to help me become a man. You know, mm-hmm. I think that I made that realization around 19 years old. I, I was still feeling really lost in my life, but I, I just kind of got clear. I had this moment of clarity after, you know, getting out of jail and just reflecting on my life and how my dad still was my dad was in my life at that time but i was like my dad's gone these other dudes that i've i've modeled have ultimately you know screwed me over in some ways what is it amounted to and so i I think i've made a clear decision myself that i need to look to myself and i need to figure out my own life and i can't rely on other men to be like to look to because i was like looking outside of myself you know for how to be how do i how do i be a man and it really led me into this false persona. It was not who I was, not who I was in essence, you know, but I was, you know, trying, I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. And, you know, it only led me to pain and suffering. And so I realized, man, like I need to, I need to like figure out who I am first. And that kind of began my journey of healing and and Mm self-discovery. Yeah, man. Uh, One thing just came to mind that I've learned in the journey between boy and man is where we, where we put responsibility onto, especially around blame. I think that as, as boys, we, we put responsibility outward and external of us. So it's very easy to blame others for things that happen to us. It's like that victim mode that you alluded to before. I've learned one of the most powerful things for me as a man is to have compassion for the men who like the gangbangers, like the drug dealers, yeah. like the, the guys who come in and out of our lives that, that are also hurting in their own way, whether they can admit it or not. Is there something like that for you? Oh, totally. In time, even having, you know, compassion and even gratitude for these men who who I saw as reflections of myself in a way, you know, they were like hurt boys in the bodies of men, ultimately, who are doing the best they could, you know, given the the influences that they had. And I saw in the end, I was like, yeah, you know, they're not so I can't demonize them or make them like the villain, you know, or project all the blame on them just because I, I, I suffered because I modeled them. Right. It's about ultimately realizing that sometimes men are there to show us how not to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a valuable lesson in itself. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's important to remember is that some, some <laughs> of the examples we get in life are the examples of how not to do something or how you don't want to do or how you don't want to live your life. Right. Totally. And I'm, I'm definitely been one of the people that have had to learn the hard way and for so, so long, I, I, I don't can't say never learned the hard way now, but I think I've learned so many lessons the hard way that I'm like, always looking to, you know, make the right moves and avoid 
unnecessary suffering. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Well, let's let's talk about darkness for a second. You also mentioned the dark night of your soul. So can you just describe a little bit of what maybe some of those, what were some of the darkest times for you? And, and what, what did that feel like? Imagining that there's probably a man out there who's going to be listening to this that's in a similar space. Yeah, man. Uh, it was feeling alone. Even though I had friends and, and good social life and all that, there was a, a period of time where I was going through addiction and I was hiding it from everybody. Even though a lot of, a lot of people did know, I don't think anybody really felt called to, to speak to me about it. I'm a pretty stubborn, a strong-willed person. And so, you know, for many years, it was this like yo-yo of like falling back into addiction, relapse, and just not being able to get my life straight um, up until the point I was 23. So it was just the period of time when I get out, got out of jail when I was 19, all the way until I was 23. Well, there were periods of like sobriety and like clear focus and doing well, but it was just over that, that several year period of, of, you know, not being able to get it together, so to say, you know, being really fragmented as a man, trying to, you know, having these deeper pieces calling me forward, but at the same time having, uh, you know, a lot of ego, like an egoic approach to life and, and perception. You know, I saw the world with like really skewed perceptions, you know, that were born of my wounds that were not healed yet. And so it was like, it was a lot of, a lot of good and a lot of bad, but the bad was really bad. Um, being around really, really round crowds in, in like really negative situations, dangerous situations, just really feeling so lost without anybody who I could turn to for guidance or help. Because, you know, I kind of lived a double life from high school on, like where like I'd, I'd have my drug friends and, and people that I, I sold with or used with. And I had like, I was like, in AP and honor classes. And I was an ASP. I was a yearbook editor, you know, this other side, like really involved and engaged, but in, on, on the other side, really disconnected and lost and hurting. And I kept those two sides separate, mm. you know, until they kind of collapsed because I couldn't keep up, couldn't keep that up, that double life up and they collapsed into one. So I was like losing jobs because of my addiction, losing like really important relationships to me because I acted a fool and, and I made ma major mistakes in relationship. I didn't, I didn't value people. I took advantage of people. And so just really being stuck in my ego, being stuck in my pain and not knowing what to do about it. Right. Yeah. So that was the, my dark night. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's a journey that a lot of men can relate to, including myself for probably two, probably three years of my life. I was high all the time. I was, for me, for me, it was marijuana, but I was, I was smoking weed. I would smoke, I would smoke weed in the morning in the afternoon at night and just kind of on repeat. So for, for three years, I was essentially in an altered state, not, not in my clear head. And there were brief yeah. periods of time where I would have those moments of clarity, like rising above the surface for a second, taking a look around at what's really going on. But then inevitably yeah. something would pull me back into that darkness. It was almost like I wasn't done marinating in that garden. I, was, I wasn't done stewing in the shit yet. I needed to continue to be in it. Totally. And then there was kind of this crystalline moment for me, you know, for me, I, I got arrested and I had to deal with that whole process of, you know, like, holy crap. Like I, I never thought I would be this guy. Is this what my life is about? What am I going to do? So, so was there like a crystalline moment for you where things really started to turn around and you, and set you off on your path? Uh, there were, there were several like crystalline key moments. Definitely. I had to call, call a hotline to see if I'd be drug tested tomorrow. And if I was drug tested, I'd, I'd have to go and get drug tested. And so that actually kept me clean for a period of time. But even during that period, I started dealing again. And so that like brought me back into it, even though I was like a, a much more effective dealer when I was not using drugs, mm -hmm. it was ultimately my downfall as well. But I think the clear moments were afforded by sobriety. You know, I, I, I just had this like inner, inner voice that was like, you know, you got to get it together. You got to, you know, you like, you, you have, you're more to do here than just messing around. You're wasting time. If I didn't understand what I was like, how I was wasting time or what I had to do. It was like very unclear, but it was just like this like drive pushing me. And then in those big moments of clarity, it was when I'd relapse, I'd relapse. And then I'd feel just so down on myself and like this voice would be like, there's, there's so much more. For you there's so much more that you have have to accomplish and you have to do and, mm -hmm. and so i'd have that space of clarity but i think the pain was just too great for me to overcome but definitely time with my mentor time with my mentor stuart bloom getting back into school getting into this program called character and conflict where i had the opportunity to be a part of a like an existential growth group and then to lead those groups myself and so 
there are so many moments in clarity in that. It's like, well, this is my life. This is what I'm here to do, you know? Mm. And so a lot of it came through healing. But definitely the most profound would be my, my mystical experience where I, I just relapsed. And I was feeling so, so low, so down on myself and really felt a lot of disgust and, and self-hatred. Like, why can't I do this? Why can't I overcome this? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless and just beating myself up over it. And I got to the point where I was just like, I, I, I'm better off dead. Mm-hmm. So I, I accepted the fact that I was going to kill myself. And the biggest thing that w- I was holding on to was my family, like not wanting to impact my family, like with mm-hmm. that, like, cause we were already struggling as a family. And so I felt like a lot of shame about not being able to get over the addiction. And then and once I decided to end my life, how it was going to impact them negatively and how they would be. And so that was like the last thing keeping me from it. But I finally decided like, I couldn't go on this like yo-yo, like in and out. And so I decided to end my life uh, one night and I was, um, I was alone in my room and just crying, just crying, look, looking back at my life, like what went wrong, um, feeling like the loss of my dad and not wanting to impact my, my mom and my sisters negatively because they're already struggling. But in that, I, I prayed. I prayed for the first time in like a, a real, real way. You know, I, I put my heart out and I, I just prayed to God. And I, I didn't even fully believe in God. I'd had read like different spiritual things and, and done like affirmations and things like that, mm-hmm. which had helped. But I, I couldn't get over this disbelief. But that was like the first time where I really surrendered. And I, and I prayed. I said, if you're real, God, like I need to know or I'm going to end my life. And I was, I was dead serious. And it was in that instant, I started feeling this vibration in my room. I started feeling this vibration that like, literally that felt like my whole room was vibrating and then it started filling me up, this vibration. And at first it was just a vibration, but it started growing into this like warmth and then it, it broke through into this like deep, unconditional love. I guess that's the only thing I could describe it as. These are just words, but it was like from the place of grief and agony that I was in, it was like the cessation, the ending of all that and just like absolute peace, absolute joy, absolute feeling like I was being held like by held by like a parent mm-hmm. just like as a baby and it, it filled my heart up and it broke it open and I never felt such relief and such like belonging and so much just rightness in that moment and mm-hmm. uh, just it just stayed with me I, I, I begged it not to leave I call it God don't know if it was like because it was the divine it was it was God revealing himself to me and in that instant, it was in that, that dialogue, I, I promised to give my life to serve this force, like, and however it, it may be. To, and I just said, don't, don't leave me, so stay with me. And it promised that it was going to guide me. And so from that point on, I, I just, it, it changed my whole life. I started, I got clean. I, I, I started meditating every day, started fasting, cut out pornography, stop masturbating, stop being relate, stop trying to get into these negative relationships and just like got came into my own energy. Basically that was like a huge turn. That was like the biggest turning point in my life, yeah. realizing that God is real, that this, that what everybody, everything, everybody talks about all these religions talk about, like this is real. And I had my, my own proof to it. And so like nothing could take, can take that away. And so like from that moment on, I like started cleaning up my life and changing my game. Yeah. That's that's so cool, man. What a powerful story. What a powerful experience. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, it's funny, I've I've heard hundreds of men's stories of sort of this coming out of the dark night of the soul. Cause it's it's archetypal, right? It's it's kind yeah. of what we have to do on this journey to become man, which is part of the thrill and part of the challenge of it. But for some reason in your story, I'm I'm being reminded of so much of my story of having that moment where it was like enough is enough time to like clean house and, you know, getting on, getting back on my fitness, getting back on my meditation, like getting very regimented and routined. And I don't know if that's the way it is for everyone, but for me, that, that was what really helped was some sense of structure and stability, even just the consistent things of, okay, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes. Then I'm going to make a bowl of oatmeal and then I'm going to start my day. (laughs) It was, it was like an elixir. You know, totally. And it was that structure that gave me the strength and the support that I needed to like break out of these old patterns that I had been living in for so many years, you know, Um, unconscious patterns and really shifted my focus from myself to like the world, like how I can serve other people, how I can help other people. And so just not watching TV, not watching, you know, not playing video games, not doing any of those things, you realize, or I realized I had so much time on my hands. I was just like Mm -hmm. meditating reading, spending time in nature. 
and like also helping people out whenever I could, right. you know, and, and working and going to school and working out, et cetera. But I lived a very simple life at that time. And it really shifted from this me focus to like, how can I serve in this world and how can I help other people? Because that was like really one of the big things that came from that experience is like, I need to pass this on. I need to help other people because I got it. Yep. You know, I received this grace. And so I, I need to be like a carrier and pass that on as well. Right. And that, and that's such an important component of feeling like a fulfilled and capable man is having something to serve someone, something, some mission, some vision to be of service to. Otherwise, I think energetically, on a soul spiritual level, it's like, well, why are we here? If we're not, if we're not being of service to something, then why are we here? And that's, that's one of the first things that I tell men who are in, who are in a rut is like, Hey man, if you don't know what else to do, wake up, make your bed and go out and be of service to something and do that every day for like, you know, three months and then see how you feel. Just, just do that and let, let everything else happen, but just do that and then see how you feel. Cause one of the things that came up when you were sharing your story was I realized that Throughout life, we're often trading one pain, one struggle, one challenge for another, right? The, the pain mm. of being in that darkness, that that space of addiction is the one that we choose over the pain, the struggle, the challenge of of being out in the world and being of service and playing a bigger game. Because that's also very daunting for someone who's never done that before. So it's, you know, it's the journey. Yeah, man. I think that that's a big, big piece is, you know, when we're stuck in our in our own story, stuck in ourself. It's easy to, you know, to lose sight of the big picture. And mm-hmm. it was really my, my capacity to expand beyond myself and see the big picture, to expand beyond my own egoic, you know, perception of like, woe is me. Like I lost my dad, my family suffering, all these things and shift to like, wow, you know what? There's a lot of people out there that are, that are suffering too. Mm-hmm. And maybe I have some, some, some ways I can help them, you know, and, and, uh, you know, just coming out of my own small world and seeing that there's a there's a huge world out here that need need us that need us to show up and, and share our gifts and and apply our talents to being able to serve. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a huge breakthrough for me. Really, is being able to shift from that me focus to the the we focus, the greater focus. Yes, yeah, huge man. I could totally relate to that too. I mean, that's that's what it was for me. I imagine that's what it is for many men as well. Is that shift and. Going back to what we said in the beginning, the difference between boy and man, you know, uh, a boy often is very self-reference and the world is about me. How is the world of service to me? And then the man is like, how can I be of service to the world? It's a, it's a fundamental shift. Yeah, man. So yeah, man, that's, that's a a beautiful story. I I really appreciate you sharing that. And um, so here we are, you know, spiritual heart, the power (laughs) of the heart. How did, how did this become your life? The life that you're in now teaching people how to teaching men facilitating leading men to access that power of their heart? Well, like there's many different pieces that, that led to that, but definitely in that mystical experience, it was coming from my heart, this incredible love, this incredible feeling of uh, connection and belonging and, and safety. And like, it was something that I'd never felt before. I had, I had never, I don't know, maybe up to that point, because I had been shut down just through trauma and everything else I, I experienced. It had been a long time since I even felt anything even close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was so strong in my heart. And so I was like, it's, it's about the heart. This is about like a, a heart opening. And so I did research and looked into that and found some different teachings and teachers that talk about like the spiritual heart or the energetic heart and started doing that. And I'm like, well, this totally resonates. And ended up uh, actually doing a training with the HeartMath Institute, which is all about bridging science and spirituality and, and uh, accessing the power of the, what they call the energetic heart which is really the same as the spiritual heart. It's basically just the, the immaterial heart that emits a field that goes far beyond the body. You know, they've, mm-hmm. done, they've done measurements. It expands it's like a magnetic field that expands beyond the body. And when we're in a state of coherence, you know, basically like between our, our brain and our heart, the signals are clear. Then we're broadcasting this like healing, rejuvenating energy out into the world. And other people like feel more calm around us or feel like just lifted up by our presence. Mm-hmm. And so as I went deeper into my path of healing, put, drawing on different tools and methodologies, including the heart math work, I realized like, man, this is really a, a big piece of the puzzle is, is really for, especially for men, because we've been trained by society, by family, et cetera, to not feel like not to feel the full range of our emotions. Often if we do feel it's anger, mm-hmm. it's like a quick default, anger, irritation. And that kind of takes us away from the capacity to feel just the stillness, the peace and the calm. And from that place of stillness is really where that, that love radiates from. 
it's not often like just super bliss and and this really overpowering love but oftentimes it's just this quiet calm benevolent embracing love you know that's just there it's always there but if our minds are all crazy and 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 thinking all these thoughts and we're reacting either living in the past or reacting to the future it's hard to just be here now and to live in that present moment where really it's our point of power and it's really the domain of the heart is, is the now. Hmm. Hmm. So, so what is, so what are men specifically, what, what are most men missing when it comes to bridging that gap between the mind and the heart? What, what, what can we be paying more attention to? Well, I think a, a big part of the process is unpacking a lot of the beliefs that we've like adopted from society and really kind of sifting through that and excavating like how, Maybe there's pieces of trauma or maybe they're like, we, maybe we've been bullied. Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've been called a name or something when we, when we cried or, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff in our past that we do need to excavate as men to, you know, cause in these oh, sticks and stones can break my bones where words never hurt me. But you know, that's bullshit. You know, when we're, mm-hmm. when we're kids and we were called names, we're bullied, that hurts, you know, and that, that can often be traumatic. And so I think a big part of that, our block to our heart and, and living in our head is the pain that we have inside of us that hasn't been healed, that hasn't been worked through, that hasn't been seen. And so I think it's such an important part of this work, this men's work is being witnessed by other men in spaces where we can be held in that compassion, where we can be held in this space of, hey, brother, like we've, we're all in this together and we, and we all struggle and we all experience this, but you know, what's your story like? And even just like sh- having a man, giving them the space to share their story, yep. the light and the dark. It's so healing, so healing mm-hmm. to be witnessed in that. And I feel like that helps us let go of this pain and it makes more room, makes more space for us to be able to connect and live in our heart. A hundred percent, man. I completely agree with that. And, and something you said a little bit earlier when you were wrapping up your story before was that you felt really alone. And I think that one of the biggest breakthroughs I know I had as a man, and I think many men have, is realizing that we're not alone. You know, if we if we if yeah. we open our heart up, especially to other men in, in men's circles and in brotherhoods, we're not alone. And also, we're not unique. We have different details to our stories, but a lot of the things, almost everything we go through, is the same story, different characters. And there's a lot of freedom. Yeah, man, it's that. all archetype. Exactly, exactly. And, and so it's it's funny how simple it can be, you know? Sit down with men in a circle and share your story vulnerably and truthfully. And sometimes that's the edge that men need to overcome for the first time, right? It's so simple, but it's to get to, get to the simple awareness, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of unpacking, a lot of clearing away. And it sucks because we really are our own worst enemies in this. Granted, society, you know, hands us so much, so much BS to work through, mm-hmm. you know, just being raised in this kind of hyper-competitive, hyper-masculine culture where we, you know, we sometimes the examples that we see around us in, in movies and music, they're not the best men um, right. to model. And even if we have a lot of men around us, like brothers and, and, and people that we hang out with or, or have beers with or whatever, to really break out of that box, that prison that says like, oh, you know, don't show your emotions. Emotions are weakness. You know, don't be like a girl, et cetera, et cetera. We can feel so alone, even even having, um, you know, men all around us and who we call our friends. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I felt really alone in that, even though I had really good men in my life and people in my life, I felt like I couldn't reach out to them because I was ashamed. So that shame really kept me mm-hmm. from being able to, to get the healing and support that I really needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, I, I know that we both share the same mission to bring more men um, all over the world into authentic spaces with other men because we know we know how, how that healing is. We've experienced that ourselves and we've witnessed it hundreds of times. Um, so so how, did, how did your journey unfold in that way? How did you begin to sit in men's circles and then facilitate them all the way up to what you're doing now with Sacred Sons? Well, I guess it really started in college, like I was mentioning about those existential growth groups. And the, although these weren't only men, these were men and women co-ed groups, um, it was my first introduction to the circle and the power of the circle and sitting in these spaces where, you know, we're all equal and realizing that although my story is my own story and it's unique in its own way, we all have stuff. We all have uh, different challenges and struggles. And it even gave me the experience of like witnessing like just some deep, how resilient the human spirit is mm. you know and uh this work of this circle work you know really called me in called me forward and my mentor one of my mentors Stuart bloom um he was like a university professor psychologist kind of encouraged me to continue uh, after i graduated con- encouraged me to continue seeking and, and sharing that medicine 
And so, yeah, I'd lead, I'd, I led circles and, and did like kind of one-off gatherings and, and used like, uh, you know, shamanic drumming because I, I took like, uh, I got gifted a, a workshop on uh, Michael Harner's um, Intro to Shamanism. And uh, that is where I started doing drumming and, and finding the medicine in that. And I'd weave that into circles, which were co-ed at first. But around the time of Standing Rock, there was a call put out for, for men's circles and women's circles be formed for prayers to be, you know, for people to start praying. And so I was invited to co-facilitate a, a men's circle by one of my brothers at the time. And it was in that circle that, that I was able to apply um, so much of what I had learned and practiced in school and just through on my own into this all men, con- into this context of all men and also to share my own unique medicine through my own journey. And I was like, whoa. This is so powerful to be in a space where you have multiple men accessing their emotions, crying and offering each other support and just seeing this like, man, we're all reflections of each other. We're all in this together. And it was just so beautiful and powerful to, to be in that space and to, to be able to hold that space. Mm. So that was really the beginning of it all. And how long ago and was that? I think that was uh, maybe two, three, two, two, two-ish years ago now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. And it's amazing because two years is really not a lot of time. But when you think about where you came from there and what you're doing now, I mean, it's clear that there's a lot of men who who want this medicine, who want this space, who who are looking for the space to be truthful, really truthful for the for perhaps the first time in their lives about what they're really going through. Definitely. Definitely. And it's, it's so, and it's, it's so heartening to see that, see all the men like being called to it. And I think that's one of the big parts of our mission is normalizing men's work, normalizing healthy masculinity and emotional expression and just like just normal human stuff, but oriented for men. Because, you know, I think as a society, there's so much suffering in it right now because men men are largely suffering in silence, you know, where we're keeping it all in. And because we are taught that that's what it is to be a man is to keep it in, to suck it up, to not show that. Right. So I think the more men see that men are doing this work and healing, like it's going to open up the door to like massive societal change. Yeah, man. Yeah, we were talking just before we we started recording here about how tricky it is sometimes to get men on board for the first time. You know, to to open up, to say yes, to be a part of a circle of men. You know, because it's it's edgy. It's it's like, what am I walking into here? And maybe there's even some imprinting of you know, bad experiences where you've been bullied by men or you've been judged by men or felt less than by other men. So there's a natural resistance there from our experiences. But when the space is created in the right way and the container is held so that it's about us growing together, then there's so much, so much healing that can happen in those spaces, man. Oh man. It's, it's, it's undeniable the power of just even opening that, creating that space and opening and uh, inviting other men in it. If they have the courage to show up to the circle and be in that space, they're going to get shifted. They're going to get the medicine. And so I think that it's at this point, at this juncture of this revival, the men's movement, it's really about showing that this is out here, that this is happening and from multiple fronts. And so I think that's what's so beautiful, you know, the work of Sacred Sons and Conscious Men Brotherhood and all these other men's groups that are out there doing this work, Mankind Project. It's just becoming so much more normalized. And I know I'm in it. So it's like, sometimes I'm like, whoa, it's really happening. And you go out there and you're like, wait a minute, like you haven't heard of men's work? Like, you know, people still (laughs) in the mainstream still kind of like, wait, what is that? You know, and I'm like, Uh well, okay, we still got a lot, (laughs) we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so if I gave you just a, like 30 seconds to say, what, what would be your message to men who are out there listening to this, who are on the fence, aren't quite part of a men's circle yet? What would be your message to them? There's medicine in gathering with other men and your courage will determine whether you can get that medicine and how much it'll transform you because really it all starts with courage, you know? And so it's about getting out of the mind and just like doing it, trying it. You have nothing to lose. Just, just get out there and get into a men's group and give it a shot. And that's it. If you don't like it, cool. You don't have to go back. But yeah. chances are you'll find that there's medicine in that. And it's, you know, it's, it's going to transform your life. <laughs> it's perfect to use that word courage, man, because the root word of courage is, the, is heart. <laughs> it's the power of the heart to get you into that space for the first time. <laughs> yeah, courage. Full yeah, circle. Yeah, that, that, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Cool, man. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your story so vulnerably and really speaking to the medicine that's on both of our hearts to call more men around this fire, around this circle. I like to conclude by asking some lightning round questions, just like, you know, real quick one, one liner answers. Uh, you down for that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, cool. So what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? Mm, 
it's safe to share. It's safe to be open. It's safe to to talk about what troubles troubles me. I guess if I could tell my 18 year old self that it's like, yeah, you're not alone. And if you, if you just open up and share, it's not going to be the end of the world. Cause I feel like it was like my fear of, of sharing that, that like kept me from healing earlier. Like, you know, led me to struggling longer. Of course I, I am who I am because of all that happened, but still like a lot of people say like they don't live with regret, but I can clearly point out times where I either I regret that decision <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I didn't need to make that decision. I'd be uh, maybe even further along than I am now if I didn't make that choice. And so right. I think that there's definitely, yeah, medicine in, in telling myself, like, if I could really listen and hear it, I don't know if I would have been able to at the time is that you're not alone. And especially if you're willing to open up and share your truth and, and speak about your pain, um, you'll be supported in it. And it's safe to do that. Mm. Beautiful, man. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Well, it's hard to choose just one. Courage definitely comes to to heart, but also integrity. So it's like, I think that without courage, how are we going to change? How are we going to do anything? How are we going to grow? But there's a such thing as having courage without integrity. And that could just lead to us hurting people and, and like kind of a belligerence. So mm-hmm. um, I think definitely integrity is, is, is also a crucial, crucial piece of being a man. So... Mm-hmm. Courage and integrity. <laughs> I, I like the tan, I like the the duo, courage and integrity, going together hand in hand. That's that's a good one, man. I like that. And then, last but not least, man, how can the listeners follow you, track your journey, hit us with like the socials, the links, info about Sacred Sons, anything you want to share with us? Yeah, definitely. You know, so Sacred Sons is is really where it's at in in my life. That's where I'm devoting a lot of my energy, aside from being a father and a husband. <clears throat> It's, it's Sacred Sons. So at Sacred Sons on Instagram or www.sacredsons.com. I'm Spiritual Heart on Instagram. And you can connect with me there as well. Come out to, to our gatherings, our events. And I know that P and, and, and the whole Conscious Man Brotherhood is doing similar incredible work. And so I, I, love, I love being in this space, just being able to see all the incredible men who are getting out there and doing this work because I feel like there's so many men out there. There's millions of men out there that need this medicine. And they're going to go to wherever they're going to go. And that's perfect. You know? And so right. I think it's like all hands on deck. So exactly. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. We're, we're all, we're all fighting the same battle, man. And, and we need everybody arm in arm to make this happen. So uh, yeah, bro. yeah, man, I got to get myself out to a sacred sons event soon. Do you guys have anything coming up here you want to announce? Yeah, yeah, we do. We actually, um, we're going to be having our, well, our body masculine course round two starts at the end of January. And then we have uh, a large, men's convergence happening April 12th through 14th. And that's going to be about a hundred men gathering in the desert of San Diego, sharing different skills and, and medicines. And, you know, we're going to be wrestling, cold plunges, doing shadow work, you know, and just being men and, and, and really tapping into that sacred masculine. So it's, it's going to be powerful. Hope you hope you join us, brother. We'd love to have you there. Yeah, man, uh, that sounds that sounds super powerful. Uh, that's going to be very close to the time that my little daughter should be arriving. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But, oh yeah, yeah, man! Congrats, will, congrats! We're re mentioning that. That's so huge. Yes, yes, man. But yes, I, I will definitely be joining you guys, if not this one, then very soon in the near future. Because uh, yeah, brother. I do. I really, I really believe in that. I really believe in the linking of our missions and and uniting the tribes. So. Yeah, Jetty, uh, we need that medicine. Come out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. You got it, bro. Well, again, bro, I really appreciate you making the time, sharing your story and your medicine. Uh, You have such a a wonderful way of articulating your story and your message and your gifts. So thank you for sharing that for uh, for myself and for everybody who's who's listening here, man. You're you're a real one. It's good to know you. Yeah. Thank you so much for for inviting me on, man. It's an honor to be amongst such incredible brothers and such an incredible host, man. You're you're doing great work in the world. I already mentioned it, but so much love and respect. Uh, we're doing this. We rise together. So grateful. That's it, brother. Likewise, man. Cool. Well, we'll get you on here sometime further down the road to hear more about your story. Thanks, bro. Thank you, brother. There you have it. I really enjoyed this conversation with Aber. I didn't know him as well as I do now before this conversation, and I felt that I really got to see into his heart and to see who he is as a man in this world. And I was was pleased by who I saw. I saw a lot of myself in Aber, and was really taken by his journey through his darkness and how he had to choose one pain, one challenge, one struggle over another. Oftentimes, I think it's easier 
to remain in the cycles of addiction, the cycle of darkness, the cycle of playing small and not really stepping forward into our purpose because there's a lot at stake when we step out into the world. When we step into the life of doing what we feel we're here to do and being of service, we are risking our safety, our sense of what will people think of us, our sense of security by hiding out from, from that mission, from that reason for being here. And so it was really great to hear his story about how he was able to rise above that, as well as to just reflect on how, how, how unique we are not, how we are all facing the same archetypal journey as men. And so I invite each and every one of you men to reflect on that yourself. Where are you still looking to break out into the life that you came here for? Where are you still hiding from being who you're meant to be? And what would happen if you just shared vulnerably with some men for the first time? Maybe you're one of those men he, we were talking about who still hasn't found a men's circle or thinks that it's a bunch of bullshit or thinks that it's, you know, woo-woo or too spiritual to circle up with some men and share vulnerably, share what's really going on for you. Because I tell you, that first share, that first time that I shared my truth and did so in a way that I've never done before was truly a breakthrough moment for me. So if there's any of you men out there who are hearing this and, and something is rising up within you, I encourage you to reach out to find one of these circles that's starting to pop up all over the world and connect with men. You know, it can be it can be online too. It can be inside the PAC Facebook group. It can be with another man that you barely know. Just reach out and, and ask and say, hey, I'm going through this thing. Would you be willing to, to support me through it? Would you be willing to chat with me about it? It's really powerful. So again, I'll mention a last minute opportunity for you guys to join up and be a part of the second Elements Men's Initiation Weekend coming up here January 18th to the 20th. It's going to be an amazing experience. I'm really looking forward to this crew that we have assembling. Head over to rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements to sign up and reserve your spot today. As always, check out the link for show notes and resources at therisingmanpodcast.com. Every Instagram, social media tag that Aubert mentioned will be there, and as is the same for every one of our episodes, so make sure you check that out. Please subscribe or follow us on the podcast app of your choice, leaving reviews, comments, anything that will tell us more about you and more about what you're getting from this podcast, wherever you're listening to us, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it may be, please leave those reviews and subscribe because it helps other men to find this podcast. So please do that. We love to hear from you guys all the time. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. My man, Rowan Tyne, one of my power team members, has been crushing the social media game for us and really putting out some powerful images and some compelling content. So please go check us out over there. And while you're at it, check out Rowan on his Instagram, his social media page. He's out in Bali right now on a tremendous adventure. So at Rowan Tyne, R-O-W-A-N-T-Y-N-E. Any of you guys who have any audiovisual social media needs, he is just, he's a beast. So make sure you check him out. Make sure you look him up. A special thanks to Sean Offenbach at Infinite Melodics, at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. Sean, I appreciate everything you do, brother. Really world-class in the way that you show up and deliver these episodes for the men, for the people every single week. I appreciate you, brother. And Julian and Mark, the other two members, cornerstones of my power team, I appreciate you guys standing behind this mission and this message and doing what you guys do behind the scenes to make the Rising Man podcast continue to run. For all the rest of us, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.